Okay, hi everyone. Welcome to episode five of Mediatations. I'm your host, Ari. Today, for the first time ever, we have a guest. So, hi, I'm Zoe. Okay, for Zoe, we're gonna ask. Um, okay, I'll ask you to justify your fuck, Mary kill for Zuckerberg, Bezos, and Musk. Okay, well, Zuckerberg's an asshole, so he's getting killed. Um, Bezos, I'm sorry, he's a little sexy. Why and is the he wallet's sexy? fat. He's bold. The wallet's fat, so Bezos, all of the wallets are fat. Bezos can get it, and then Musk seems like a little sweetie at heart. So uh, Musk, I want to marry him, so I could be Mrs. Musk. I will say Musk has like unmitigated sexual energy. Yeah, I would thank sleep you. with him. I'm sorry. Thank you. I- I'm still on the left somewhere, but <laughs> I-, I had to do it. Okay. Anyways, um, today's episode is mostly going to focus on how boys versus girls have been socialized to like conceptualize um, virginity and we're going to be talking about a few kind of scattered media sources so we'll talk about Teeth which is a horror movie made in 2007 obviously Meditations by Marcus Aurelius Um, the novel A Personal Matter I think it won a Pulitzer Prize and then the myth it's, I think it's a Greek myth, but also it's a it's appeared in like South American cultures of vagina dentata. I'll elaborate. It sounds scary. It is scary. <laughs> um, and then we'll talk about Sex in the City, and then the lyrics of "It's Different for Girls" by of Montreal, and then finally a conversation that I had with my roommates last night. So um, let's talk about where I got the idea for this episode. It was Halloween night. It was Sunday. And there was absolutely no way I was going out. I had spent a lot of Halloween weekend out and I just could not afford it. My classes couldn't afford it. So I was like, I'm going to stay in. But I still wanted to do something festive, something in the Halloween spirit. So I decided to watch Teeth. Uh, A little bit about Teeth. It's a 2007 horror slash comedy movie. Um, It did not do well at the box office. It's directed by a woman. Um, Okay, so... Here's a little premise to the movie. Uh, there's this little girl named Dawn, and then she has a stepbrother named Brad. Um, they both are not, like, siblings by blood. I think they were neighbors initially. And then, I don't know, I guess both of their parents were divorced. So, anyways, their parents get together. And Brad is upset by this because he had a crush on Dawn. But also, he was, like, five years old at the time. I don't know how many five-year-olds are making soul bonds, but whatever. He's obsessed with her. And then they get married. But I guess at five years old, he can also understand that you shouldn't want to sleep with your sibling. Also, at five, you shouldn't want to sleep with anyone. But that's besides the point. Um, Anyway, so he's in love with her, but he can't have her anymore because they're siblings. And that's, uh, like, taboo. And so the opening scene is in a pool. And it looks like a little idyllic neighborhood, maybe, like, lower middle class, but still pretty, like, suburbs. And the two children, Dawn and Brad, are sitting in a kiddie pool, and Brad gets closer to Dawn, and Brad, like, moves his hand over to Dawn. The camera doesn't show what happens exactly, but then uh, Brad starts crying, and his finger is bleeding, and then the parents rush over and have to take him to the hospital, and then after that, he has a lifelong scar on his index finger. Okay, flash forward, they grow up. Brad is seriously emo, and then Dawn is like this high-profile celibacy advocate. Um, She gives talks to these middle school students. They're honestly indoctrinated. She'll say, like, are you going to sleep with the first guy that buys you a dozen roses? And then a bunch of middle schoolers will say no, and it's, it's just a bunch of brainwashing type stuff. 
And then um, that's also where we meet this nice guy type. His name is Ryan. Um, He's supposed to be like the guy who like sees past all her celibacy stuff and he just wants to get to know her and like, you know, the nice guy trope basically. And then also at that same celibacy rally, she meets Toby and sparks are flying. They're exchanging certain glances. And then she goes to her high school. She's a high school student. And in her sex ed class, they talk about mutations. And so they're talking about how like cobras, is it, yeah, it's cobras that like, no, not cobras, rattlesnakes. I go to Dartmouth. I swear. <laughs> okay, rattlesnakes. Anyways, how like they were regular snakes, but then they adapted to have this rattle that would make them more threatening and like let people know that they were coming and just how mutations can be advantageous for certain, I guess, like creatures. Um, so that's foreshadowing because it talks about mutations. And then in that same sex ed class, they talk about, uh, I guess, like human genitals and stuff like that. And they have this really elaborate, like, um, I don't know, description slash like illustration of like the male reproductive system. And then whenever they get onto the female system, somebody asks, why is there a star over it? And so they've covered up like the vagina, the womb, all like no fallopian tubes in the school, basically. And they've covered it up and it's censored. And then uh, the professors or the teacher says that it's censored because the state decided that it was like obscene and you couldn't depict women's like sexuality. And then some girl asks why. And then Dawn answers and she says, it's because women have this ingrained like innate modesty. And so we wouldn't want to show ourselves that way. And so this is a lot of foreshadowing. It'll matter later on. Okay. For whatever reason, Dawn has friends. I don't know how she has friends. She's kind of obnoxious. Um, but she has friends, and they go to the woods. And when they're at the woods, she's hanging out with Toby, and again, sparks are flying. And then she goes home, and then that night, she tries to, like, masturbate for the first time. And while she's doing this, she's getting, like, visions of herself on her wedding night. And so <laughs> he's, like, pulling down the garter, and he's wearing, like, his little groom's outfit and it, it's a weird way to masturbate for the first time but she doesn't actually go through with it because Jesus is watching and so she wakes up the next morning and she feels awful and she calls him and she says Toby we can never see each other again and Toby says you're right I agree with you I want to be celibate we'll never see each other again whatever um for whatever reason she, Dawn goes back to the woods and then she calls Toby and she's like I need you and Toby's like I'm there and so he shows up and at first, it's really sweet. They're just, like, wandering around the woods, flirting with each other. They jump into the pool. It's very spontaneous. They do a kiss, and it's kind of romantic and just sweet. And, yeah, it's good. They swim over to this cave, and then Dawn gets up onto the cave, onto the cave floor. Toby meets her there. And this is where things start to go awry. Um, Dawn was okay with kissing, but now that Toby wants to do more, she's sort of pushing him off, and she says, you know what, I actually think we should go home. I thought this was so funny. It's fucked, but it was funny. Toby then goes, no, I haven't masturbated since Easter. We need to do it. And so basically Toby forces himself onto Dawn, and it's this, like, really intense rape scene. So, like, trigger warning, probably that's not the movie for you if that stuff makes you uncomfortable. Um... Yeah, so it's this rape scene, and then Dawn is, like, crying and screaming, and then while Toby is inside of her, you hear this crunch, 
And then <laughs> Toby stands still for a moment and then he begins to scream and then he like pulls himself off of her and then he's essentially been castrated. He no longer has a penis and um, like Dawn's vagina ejects the penis and it lands in the water and then Toby like falls over and he like presumably drowns. It's never confirmed whether he died, but like you don't see him for the rest of the movie and Dawn is really freaked out and she can't find him. So like he's dead. Toby's dead basically. Um so yeah, there's the rape scene. Okay, so uh, at this point, Dawn leaves because she's seriously distressed. And then she has to go perform a speech at like the middle school celibacy club. But she seriously flops on her speech. And so she goes to, oh, she decides to go to the gynecologist because she doesn't know what's going on with her body. And she's just honestly scared. And so she rides her bike to the gynecologist all by herself, which like, keep in mind, this is like a high school student. And she felt so much shame about her sexuality that she felt the need to like drive or not, not even drive over to bike over to the next town, which is like, you know, just inherently dangerous. And also this is such a scary experience to go to the gyno for the first time. And the fact that she's doing it on her own and she has no support system and she's so isolated, whatever. She walks into the gynecologist um, and he's kind of poking fun at her. He's like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you're fine. And so he opens up and she puts her legs in the stirrups. And, you know, the gynecologist is male and you're put in a position of, like, authority and also a lot of trust. Like, you know, Dawn is really into her celibacy and abstinence thing. And so to let someone see her lady parts down there, it's it's a big step for her. And so at first, um, he's like feeling around, which is like totally typical gynecologists do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But he keeps talking to her and then his voice becomes weird. And then he pushes his hand further into her. And then he starts to say like sexual things about her being tight. And at this point, you see Dawn's face like become uncomfortable and she starts to look scared which like rightfully so like your gynecologist should not be saying things like that to you and so at this point she becomes scared and then the gynecologist starts screaming because vagina dentata has struck once again his <laughs> fingers are cut off he pulls his hand out his fingers fall out he's crying and screaming and he's yelling vagina dentata dentata and then she like runs away and then she gets back on her bike and she bikes all the way home um, okay. When she gets back home, she peels the sticker from the, from the sex ed, like, textbook. And so when she peels the sticker, she sees what, like, a vagina is supposed to look like. And she sees that her body doesn't look like that. And she, so she starts to freak out and, you know, think that something's wrong with her, a vagina dentata moment. And then, uh, yeah, she discovers her adaptation and she has nobody to turn to. Like I said, this girl is isolated, no resources. And so flashback to Ryan. No one gives a shit about Ryan, but Ryan, the nice guy, she goes to his house and she cries. And um, he essentially calls her hysterical, which is like not something that you're supposed to call a woman. And then he tells her, you need to calm down. You can just shower in my mom's shower and then I'll bring you some pills. And so he like drugs her or like sedates her, essentially like roofies her basically. Um, and after that, they have sex and her fangs don't come out or her, not her fangs. Well, yeah, her fangs, her vagina dentata does not strike again. And this is kind of problematic because the sex wasn't consensual. If you've been roofied, then you're not giving your consent for that. But I also understand the director. It served as a plot device because it was supposed to show that like she can be normal, like 
the vagina dentata condition isn't chronic. Like it's an adaptation in the same way that like a rattlesnake chooses when to rattle. She can choose when to like show her teeth. Oh my God. Yeah. Show her teeth. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it was essentially a plot device, but also like, I will also give them credit. Like it was 2007. I don't think people were talking about the dangers of roofing people as prevalently back then but also just like in general it's wrong and like if we could do like a rewrite of the movie I would rewrite that scene and I think that would make the movie perfect in my opinion I really enjoyed it thus far okay so anyways it's a plot device um and then the next morning when she wakes up and she I'm assuming that like the drugs are out of her system uh, she's about to leave because she's going to turn herself into the police for the murder of Toby. But then um, Ryan is like, no, let's do sexy time again. And so she's like, OK. And then she's on him and they're doing it. And it's good for her because she's sexually liberated. But also she's liberated with a nice guy that roofied her. And then he gets a call while they're doing it. And he answers the phone call and it's his friend. And he says, guess who I'm doing right now? And then the friend is like, no way, it's Dawn. Because remember, Dawn is like a micro celebrity for her celibacy thing. Anyways, um, he says, I'm banging Dawn right now. And Dawn is like, what the hell? Why are you telling people that? Like, you don't have my consent to do that. And then Dawn like realize, or then Ryan keeps talking and he's just digging himself a hole. And he says like, have you ever seen like the movie She's All That? This is a She's All That beat. Basically, he had a bet that he could bet he could bed the celibate girl and so basically sleep with her and take her virginity. Um, and she was just a bet to him. Now, and she's all that that's considered romantic. However, in this case, having your sexuality reduced to a bet between bros is kind of demeaning and demoralizing. And so at this point, Vagina Dentata strikes for the third time and she rips his penis off. And yeah, that just kind of happens. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, and also it's it's good on the movie because it subverts the expectations of like romance movies, right? That like you're supposed to bang the nice guy and end up with him. But like, really, he's not a nice guy and he would roofie you just as much as any other asshole would. OK, so at this point, Dawn walks home and she finds out that her mom is dead. So I've completely ignored telling you guys about Brad. Remember, Brad is like her stepbrother who's not like, blood-related to her. But Brad, he grew up hella emo. He listens to, like, really hard music, and he's just kind of a bum. He doesn't really have a job. But for some reason, he has a really hot girlfriend. I don't understand. Anyways, um, he sleeps with the girlfriend, but they don't have regular sex. They only do anal, and that's because <laughs> Brad has been traumatized from vagina dentata from when he was five years old and he stuck a finger in there. Yeah, that, this is so fucked up. But anyways, um, yeah, he's been traumatized. And so his girlfriend is always trying to get him to sleep with her, like in a regular way, like missionary type B. But he's like, nope, I only do anal because I am terrified of vaginas. But he doesn't tell her that. Um, so anyways, Brad was doing anal whenever the mom was dying and he didn't call the hospital. And because of that, she dies. Um, and so this really pisses Dawn off. And this is where Dawn takes agency over her life again. So she goes home after finding out the news that her mother's dead. And she puts on like this slutty dress. She puts on a blue eyeshadow. And then she basically goes and seduces Brad. And she gets him to have like vaginal sex for the first time. And whenever she's on top of him, she bites it off. Vagina dentata strikes for the fourth time. And the dog 
or okay, he has a dog. It's like a bulldog. Um. Anyways, whenever vagina dentata strikes again, she holds it inside of her for a little bit, and then she drops it, and then a dog eats it, and then Brad is like, "Don't leave me!" And he's been castrated, and it's awful, and she runs away. And in order to run away, she has to hitchhike. And so she gets into this car with this very creepy old man. And you know right from the get-go that his every intention is to, like, molest her, do something, like, vile with her. Um, But what he doesn't know is that Dawn has a vagina dentata. And it's not going to be advantageous for him to, like, rape her. Um, And so in a way, you could see this story about Dawn as, like, a superhero origin story, right? And it also kind of makes you sad because... I mean, it's supposed to be empowering this adaptation that she has because it essentially makes her invincible. It gives her the power to hitchhike. It gives her the power to live her life and not have to fear men because her body has mutated to protect herself against like nice guys who will roofie you, guys who will make bets about you, guys who will pretend to be celibate but then try to rape you on the cave floor, right? And so it's just sad how like evolution has to account for men not knowing how to keep it in their pants um and so that was uh teeth i recommend it to anyone who like Mm -hmm. isn't i guess disturbed by disturbing things (laughs) images i don't know if you're into like gory movies i think you're probably fine um so yeah that was teeth and then I guess since we're talking about oh we'll get into the vagina dentata myth that's probably our best segue (laughs) Okay, so the myth, it occurs in lots of cultures, South American ones, and then I think also Greek, and it's basically that a hero must conquer a woman, and so um, think like Medusa-type beat, but with a womb, Um, and then the idea is that like the why the vagina dentata myth exists is because men fear everything that the womb is because it's anti-man you would say that like the womb is the source of humanity and then people especially men in positions of authority love to hate women and they essentially remove women from the equation when it comes to like childbirth and so they equate like childbirth to something holy or it's related to god god who is by the way a man and so um you know it's Freud talks about, oh my God, I sound so unhinged, but like, I'm going to assume that you know what I mean when I say Freud talks about um, penis envy and that like women want to be like men, but this kind of, the vagina dentata myth kind of flips it because it says, no, in reality, it's men that want to be like women because men don't have the ability to have a womb and create life inside of them. And so because they don't, they lack this natural ability, it then becomes envy. And because they're envious of women and their nurturing nature of of like the womb, they'll basically try to remove femininity from the equation of creativity. And they'll say, no, actually, you know, birth is caused by something holy or something related to God, God, who is, by the way, a man. Um, And then that kind of relates to a personal matter, which like the super short, like spark notes version of the book um, there's this guy named Bird, and he has a child, and that child has a deformed head. He relapses into alcoholism and while he's hoping for his own child to die because his child is deformed and he doesn't want that. Um, and then he, at the same time, re- rekindles a former college flame, and then he's cheating on his wife, which is really so sad. Um, and at first, Bird can't seem to have sex with his um, college flame. Um, and that's because he's afraid of the vagina. 
And whenever the girl asks him, you know, what do you fear so much? He says, um, I have a feeling there's what you'd call a universe back in there. It's dark, it's infinite, it's teeming with everything anti-human. And I'm afraid that if I entered it, I'd get trapped. And so that's kind of the fear with like castration and vagina dentata that like as soon as you are exposed and as soon as you are vulnerable, you will be weaker than the woman and she will be able to like contain you inside of her and then castrate you because that's what vagina dentata does. Um, so at the same time that like the origins of vagina dentata are like a fear of women and their power like sexually, it's also empowering because it reminds you that like men are at the mercy of women, at least sometimes. Um, but then semi-related to that, um, I guess. Oh, actually this lyric from It's Different for, for Girls. Uh, what does it say? It's different. Okay, this is a lyric. It's different for girls. They are mercurial creatures, not a masculine dissonance or sexual currency. And so back to like the currency thing and how you could imagine that in a way it could empower women, but at the same time, it's manipulation on both ends. I don't know. Um, I don't know. What are you, what are your thoughts on teeth? On teeth, I think it's a really powerful concept because it does show like the like we we're talking about the feminine like the way that men are at our will on occasion, which <laughs> is kind of a big like flipping the script from what society has kind of got us to think, you know as women being weak or submissive. What's the thing right now, like, breedable and submissive? Oh, God. Everyone wants to be breedable and submissive, but... Oh, man. um, Dawn doesn't subscribe to that, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, though, she is, like, hard on her celibacy shit. I'm a picky girl. Yeah. Um, Well, I don't know, because she's, like, bullied in her school, too, for, like, being so celibate and stuff like that. Um, But I guess just, like... What, what do you think about the when she got drugged? When she got drugged, I think it's really yeah. messed up that that was the first time she could, quote, enjoy. Yeah. You know that the vagina dentata did not activate, and it's really weird. But maybe you could say, like, the vagina dentata was, like, roofie too. Yes. Like, she was asleep. She couldn't, like, <laughs> perform it's her really duties. It's really sad that that was her first positive yeah. sexual experience. That's really my biggest take. And, like, what does that say? About obviously the the director's a woman, so we understand like her perspective. But what and she's that apologized since mm-hmm. then too, which is like good on her. Um, I don't know. And then okay, so a lot of like Freud's theories have been like disregarded. Everyone's like that man was batshit crazy. Don't listen I to really, him. I think some of Freud's stuff is so true. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> Hot okay, take. well. Um, are you, like, at all familiar with penis envy? I mean, it is exactly what it sounds like. I, I mean, it sounds very legitimate. Like, Yeah. I mean, okay, well, basically it's that, like, from the eyes of a little girl, you see that a boy is afforded, like, more opportunity slash, like, more freedom because he has mm-hmm. a penis. And then you see that, like, your father is more powerful than your mother and it's because he has a penis. And so as a little girl, you want to, like, reject your mother and, like, basically just be <laughs> daddy's little girl because mm-hmm. of penis envy. Oh, interesting so that's the reasoning behind yeah that. yeah wow. and I don't know just like how much of the this isn't Freudian I don't think but like mm-hmm. the idea that like men are afraid of the womb and like jealous that they can't create life like how much of that is just like people reading into like sociological stuff mm-hmm. too much and then how much of it is like no men realistically in my everyday life are probably scared of vaginas <laughs> I think a lot of it's probably sociological yeah like, 
I feel like uh, rational men would not be scared of vaginas per se, but maybe <laughs> I love scared, that sentence. <laughs> maybe scared of, I guess, their power. Yeah. Or isn't it like also? I'm not sure though, because if we have penis envy, I'm not sure a man has like womb envy. I can't think of a man that's like, oh, I want to be mommy. Yeah, or it's not necessarily that, but it's like envy that you can't create, Mm -hmm. that you can't give birth, that like your kids will always be closer with their mother because like, you know, she gave life to them. I do think the father has more to work for in the parental relationship. Yeah. The mom will always have the trump card of like, I created you. Yeah. The dad's secondary, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay. Kind of related to that, the meditations thing I was telling you about that like, uh, Marcus Aurelius says that like you have to take apart the whole to see the reality that is underneath and so he talks about like when you're having dinner and you're eating fish you're not eating fish you're eating the dead body of a fish when you're wearing a coat you're not wearing a coat it's like lamb's fleece dyed in blood and like that's what you're putting on your body and so to describe sex he says in matters of sex intercourse that is atriation of an entrail and the convulsive explosion of a mere mucus. And then he basically just says, it's arrogant to think that sex is anything but that. And so if you break down what it is, it's just like limbs moving around horizontally, I guess, because you're <laughs> laying down, presumably. I presumably. mean, more freedom to you, vertical people. <laughs> the common um, sutra, whatever. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, that whatever it's just like limbs moving around and then the secretion of like bodily fluids thoughts (laughs) i mean what do you should we would we be more free as a society if we broke sex down that way or do you think it's necessary to like contextualize it in like no you should be married and you should be in love and like i think for our like happiness functioning with each other we probably should keep it emotional it's kind of like and this is the only example I can think of, but, like, professional fighting. Professional fighting tries to remove the emotion from, you know, like, actually beating the crap out of someone. But what we see is outside of those fights, like, they are not friends at all because they have, they've established this, like, kind of legitimate hatred towards each other based on the fact that their profit comes from beating each other up. Um, so in that same sense, I think if we were to try and de- what would that be? Like, you think dehumanizing is too. Like, yeah, you're dehumanizing sex. I think we would end up like losing so much of ourselves. And even if it doesn't need to be like the strongest love connection, there needs yeah. to be some acknowledgement of the fact that you're both human beings who do have emotions. Yeah, that's so cool. I've never heard that like point about the fighting, like professional I, wrestling. Yeah. What is sex if not professional, professional wrestling? wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, who is more, like, liberated people that, exactly. like... Exactly. Yeah. I think it's a really narcissistic view at the same time to be, like, it's just my body. Like I said, my body was going to do that whether you were there or not. Like, that's not yeah. exactly true, and it is just crazy ego that would tell you that. Yeah, I mean, but that's kind of like Marcus Aurelius's counterpoint. He says that it is ego, it is arrogant to assign meaning to sex when mm-hmm. it's just, like, limbs moving around. So he's like, that. that's our human error, that, like, we try to be sentimental. Or self-important. When, yeah, 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 when things just, like, aren't supposed to be that way. Damn. Uh, have you ever seen Sex in the City? I've seen, like, the prequel. Oh, really? Okay. Well, um, I haven't seen a lot of it. I just mm-hmm. finished season one with my roommate. 
and uh, we talked about who is it. Okay, Miranda, the one with the red hair, she's mm-hmm. supposed to be, like, really detached from sex. And, like, yes. she'll sleep with you, but, like, she's not necessarily emotional. And she kind of just sees it as, like, this is a physical thing I have to do. Mm-hmm. And then Mar- or Samantha, Samantha's fucking sex craze. Like, she'll sleep <laughs> with you. And she does it, like, a little bit for validation. There's an episode where she does a sex tape. And it's all about, like, <laughs> her performing, whatever. Um, and then there's Charlotte, uh, who's kind of like the soft girl she's more repressed sexually Mm -hmm. and she feels that like she needs to find a husband oh my god there's an episode in season one about um she's dating a guy and he's literally perfect for her like I think he's an art I don't know like instructor or something Mm -hmm. like that literally like ideal man for her and you know how picky she can be or she can be very picky Mm -hmm. um and then they're like getting it on one night and he's like hey I'm really into anal like we need to do anal (laughs) and she's like what and then she leaves, and then she, like, talks to her girlfriends about oh, it, no. and they're all like, well, you can, you know, learn to like it. And she's like, no, I'm not that kind of girl. I don't want to be known as the anal girl. <laughs> and then there's a whole other episode about um, where she's dating this guy. He's also almost perfect, but then uh, the episode opens kind of weird. It, it's also made in, like, the early 2000s, so, mm-hmm. like, times were different. But um, basically, the episode opens with, like, and Charlotte was engaging in the ponytail tug of war where basically like the guy's trying to pull her down so he can get head. Mm-hmm. And then she's trying to be like, nah, uh, uh. and like Charlotte's like painfully trying to make this hot. She's like, mm, no, I'm not going to suck your dick. Yeah. And the guy's like, no, but do it. <laughs> and it's so bad. Um, but anyways, like, yeah, her whole thing is like innocence and like, I don't know, trying to find love. Interesting. But mm-hmm. she's also like hyper repressed. Um, and then Carrie's. Carrie whole thing is just that, like, she makes bad decisions with sex. It's not that she doesn't sleep with people, but it's just that, like, she does stupid things when she does mm-hmm. sleep with people. So, like... And then she blogs about it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, have we seen that before? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, okay, who's, whose sex life would you take on out of those four? So, there's Miranda. Samantha's, like, the sex craze one. Probably Miranda. She's yeah. so I guess this kind of contrasting my earlier statement, but she just has the clearest like view of what she wants. Carrie's a little too messy. Mm-hmm. Um, what's Charlotte a little too sad? Yeah, Charlotte's is sad. I I've been told okay, my roommate Lily, she said that I was most like Carrie, mm-hmm. which like thank I you. I think Carrie's most women cool. probably are like Carrie. Most people like to think of themselves as Carrie, but I feel mm-hmm. like I'm really honest with myself. I kind of feel like hot take, I'm a Charlotte. <laughs> I mean, not, like, in every sense, but, like, in the sense that, like, I probably want to find my person and, like, marry that person. I feel that, but then in actuality, how it works out for her, I feel like I wouldn't live like that if those were my goals. Yeah. So, I guess I appreciate Samantha the most. Or Miranda. Yeah, I I think you mean Miranda. Miranda. Well, I don't know. I just, I think it's so terrifying to think that, like, you can make a decision in your life, find someone you want to lose your V-card to... And then, like, things fizzle out, mm-hmm. and they're just running around the world living their life with your V-card. <laughs> like, you can't get that back. You've got to leave it in the wallet, ladies. Yeah. V-card stays at home when you go out. Uh, I, after this, we'll be joining a covenant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually an atheist, but Zoe has converted me. Yeah, so, so we're going to be nuns. Yeah. Um, that would have been a good <laughs> Halloween costume. Um, but, yeah, just... I don't know. I don't want to be a Charlotte, but some days I feel like a Charlotte. I think it's the point of sex in the city that we could potentially relate to all of them at different aspects. 
Yeah, different in points life. in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the you whole... Can't, you can't box yourself in. Yeah. Sex in the City was supposed to be, like, really revolutionary because it was, like, women, and they have careers, <laughs> and they live on their own, and they have sex. sex. And worst of all, they're in their 30s. How <laughs> dare they? Um, so there's that. Let's see. Oh, yeah. But I guess just, like, the conversation that I ended up having with my roommates was about how, like, people are socialized to, like, think of virginity right and like for girls I think I don't know if this is progress but like the idea that like you can just lose your virginity to whoever and like as long as if it's consensual and it's safe then like you should be fine but also I feel like there's an element of like regret to that almost Mm -hmm. and just like also the way that we talk about it right because it's like called like losing your v-card right Mm -hmm. but it's like in reality aren't you gaining something like if this is your perception of reality now, then after you have sex for the first time, it's like a whole new aspect of reality. Mm-hmm. So like you've gained sort of like entrance into this doorway of like, I don't know, sexy time adulthood, right? So shouldn't it be gaining? I don't know. Gaining. I think as much as it definitely can be empowering to just say like, yes, I'm going to lose it and it's fine. It is consensual. It's safe. I like this person, whatever. I, th- I think you could lose a lot of yourself if you were to regret. So I guess the biggest part, like, going into it, you might be fine. The biggest part probably is all the hype that we've created about the afterwards. Yeah. Uh, where do you go from here? Is this person, like, someone you're looking to date? Was it a one-night stand? Is this, for some people who want to wait for marriage, like, this is now your life partner? Yeah. And what, you've had sex with them once and are going to get married? Like, I think that's... Samantha said, like, you can't wait till marriage to have sex because what if they suck? Exactly. <laughs> you have to know what you're signing on to. So, what like, am I subscribing to? There has to be a healthy medium. Because, I mean, yeah, sexual compatibility is a, very much a real thing. Oh, man, that was a question on the marriage pack. It, it, is, it was essentially asking, are you a top or a bottom? Oh, but it was yes. Like, are you submissive or dominant? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's my first day out here. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You just had to guess. Yeah. I, I, I said somewhere, like, close to the middle. Because I was like, I'm, I'm not submissive and free to Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I, I will say that, like, boys definitely have a different conception of virginity. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the American Pie movies? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, it's basically a bunch of, it's like this high school friend group, and they place a wager. This is how all teen movies start. All teen movies have yeah. <laughs> It's a wager about, like, uh, well, actually, it's not a competition, which I thought was kind of refreshing, but it's basically that they want to help each other all lose their virginities before college. Mm-hmm. I think... I actually can't remember how it ends. I think like two out of two out of four lose their V cards. Um, but ooh, I'll I'll ask you like uh, I call these like unfounded opinions. You have nothing to support or back this up. <laughs> okay, take your cold hard guess right now. How much of the class of twenty twenty five are still vestal virgins? Throw a percentage out. Thirty five percent. Really? Too high or too low? I don't know. Um, We're in an Ivy League, so no, I I would say honestly more. Something in the forties, like early forties, like maybe like forty one. I think I've read the statistic. It might be in the forties. People be lying. Don't trust. Yeah, that's so true. And then it goes back for some people. How do you define virginity? That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I think about that sometimes. I um I wrote in my journal a long time ago. It's probably still here. No, no, it's in my gray one. Um, but it was like. Other 
Maybe I shouldn't have said me. Um, <laughs> what was that? Big Mouth Billy Bass, <laughs> the web DCR bass, um, may or may not have engaged in head and in some cultures that may or may not be considered like your V card, right? Because it is a form of sex. Actually, that's what they talked about on Teeth when that, whenever they were at like the celibacy rallies. Mm-hmm. They talked about like... Um, they were like, and don't let the guy tell you that the back door doesn't count because it certainly does in the eyes of God. And then they were like, mouth stuff, that counts too. <laughs> so, like, I'm just saying by some standards, by some cultural standards, Big Mouth Billy Bass is not a virgin. <laughs> and, you know, that's much to consider. That is much to consider. Would you consider Big Mouth Billy Bass a virgin? You know, I, I have a friend who had a teacher that would say that Big Mouth Billy Bass lost an aspect of their virginity the first time they held hands with someone. And Ooh, every time, every time, every time you do something physical, every time you do something physical and new, you're losing your virginity. It's not oh, weird. But like, that's like so unrealistic. But, but not in like a sexual way, because like you could say like, I lost my apple Danish virginity. virginity. Like, I haven't eaten an apple Danish before, and I had one today. I've had, like, other Danishes. I'm not, like, an animal. I'm civilized. I'm just... She's cultured. Yeah. (laughs) It's just my first one, so... So, like, was it worth it? Yeah. Do you regret the apple Danish? I would say it was a decent apple Danish. <laughs> I did bump into like two men at Foco trying to grab it. So that was kind of awkward. But yeah. I'd say like seven out of ten decent Danish. Okay. Very no, good. it would have been better had it been warm. Apple Danish? <laughs> Wait, no, I I take it back. I oh, wanted no. a warm apple Danish and no. I can't get this virginity back. <laughs> it's a so crisis. Sad. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Oh, another unfounded opinion. What percentage of people do you think regret their first time? Wait, wait, for women and then for men, because I feel like it's very different. Men, low. No, I don't know. No, actually, I'll say 40% for men. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Actually, I take that back. I don't think men regret how they lost their virginity, but I think men definitely have sex that they regret. Yes. Have, have you ever heard of post-nut clarity? Yes, yes, I was talking, it's called PNC. They say PNC, and it really only occurs with a girl who, like, you're kind of friends with, but you weren't ever looking to date them. You hook up, um, and then you get PNC because you're like, oh, I really just like you as a friend. Apparently, with girls Damn, that they're truthfully so into, truthfully into, PNC won't really take, won't really grab them. Won't it won't like fully hold them. <laughs> um, but PNC is real, apparently. Huh. Hypothetically. Okay, hypothetically, Big Mouth Billy Bass, <laughs> when, when she was hanging out with someone maybe one time, and then they maybe did mouth stuff, <laughs> Big Mouth Billy Bass may or may not have been told that um, that post-nut clarity hit, just because, no, 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 not, not in, like, a way that, like, Big Mouth Billy Bass is, like, unattractive, but just in a way that, like, oh, my God, you're a really sweet girl, and we did this. I mean, sweet fish. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Big Mouth Billy Bass. Yeah, and I I think that may or may not have been one of Big Mouth Billy Bass's, like, first sexual encounters, Mm -hmm. and so to be told that very early on and, like, be aware of post-nut clarity may or may not have made big mouth billy bass like really insecure honestly honest that's that's unkind to tell big mouth billy bass about pnc yeah men are awful 
Sorry, that happened. That's like Big something. That's Bass. like something that Big Mouth Billy Bass never should have had to be privy to. Yeah, honestly, they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. Um, but that is semi-related to something that happens to Charlotte in Sex in the City, where it's like she's dating this guy, things are going well, they have a ton of sex, like you know, normal mm-hmm. amount, and then they get married, and then after they get married, he just can't look at her sexually anymore, and he like says that like you're gonna be the mother of my children, I can't hit it from the back, <laughs> like it's too much, and so he just like stops sleeping with her at all, and like eventually they end up getting divorced. Um, spoiler alert if you're watching. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, Army Hammer went through that. Oh, where he couldn't sleep with his wife anymore. Yeah, that's why he's so sexually like depraved. Yeah, fucking cannibal. Fucking cannibal. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Army Hammer acts like Jeff Bezos. Smut movie. <laughs> alive girl. I would girl. watch. Alive girl. <laughs> alive mm. girl. And then they're. Oh, it's an alive girl when Bezos sleeps with her, and then whenever Army Hammer starts eating her, then like dead girl. <laughs> Someone take the cop the movie rights for this. Yeah, we won't sue. <laughs> Make it happen. We just want like a little bit of the funds. But yeah. Okay, so you know how we kind of semi decided that like, okay, womb envy slash like fear of the vagina probably isn't real for like every mm-hmm. man in your day to day life. How much of the Madonna whore complex affects men in your day to day life? Because I feel like that one actually does have like real life. That one like, has real. Yeah. It has to because there are definitely women. And like men's lives where they're like, okay, this is a whore. This is like someone who I can viably sleep with. Usually, like I guess in their eyes, it'll be like the girl in a tight dress at like a frat party. Like mm-hmm. that's someone you can fuck. Whereas like maybe your bio study lab partner who like wears like cute dainty dresses. Well, like, and then what happens when those are at a crossroads? Yeah. When you see the bio lab partner in a <laughs> slutty dress. True. Then you get married, and it's a Dartmouth love story. <laughs> But it's a success. Yeah. But it's just like, I don't know, these impossible standards on women, Mm -hmm. right? That like, you have to preserve your virginity as long as you can. And like, it's your flower. It's your gift. Don't give it up to anyone. And like, really make someone work for it. But then at the same time, men also want to indoctrinate you to like, be sexually liberal. And it's Mm -hmm. like, sleep around. It's cool. Get on Tinder. Hook up. But as soon as you get on Tinder, and as soon as your body (laughs) count hits XYZ numbers, you are no longer a viable Madonna. And you're you're, you're no longer wife material. I know. And it's it's horrible. And it's like, there's no equivalent of that for men. Because Mm -hmm. even if like, it's a man who's like a man whore and like, he sleeps around, there's like, um, that movie trope that like, you can fix him, you can get him to settle down. And usually it's like the virgin vestal, like a cute, nice girl, girl next door typey that makes him settle down. And it's like, no, you were like, I don't know. It's just complicated. Like for men, there's a redemption arc. And for women, there's not really a redemption arc. It's no. like, if you're a whore, then that's the that's like your, path that you You're going to go burn on the stake. That's yeah. your end. Yeah. Stake burning. Salem witch trials. Salem but witch trials. We are in New England. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, <laughs> They're no. going to get us. Oh, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't you that said McDonald's whore complex. I, it was me. <laughs> I, I think of that every day of my life. The McDonald's I'm sorry. I thought it was called the McDonald's whore complex. <laughs> but that would be so much better i mean what would that be okay well let's think does the mcdonald's clown have a name is his name mcdonald no ronald Ronald. mcdonald (laughs) ronald mcdonald okay if ronald mcdonald were what are his tropes he's like hard working right yeah he honestly is he the ideal man ideal woman yeah yeah. (laughs) um yeah i mean 
McDonald's or complex. Successful. Ronald McDonald is a Madonna. Yeah, he kind of is. That's why McDonald. Yeah. So it checks out. I don't know. If you had to choose what to live your life out as because you live in a society mm-hmm. and there are expectations of you, would you rather society. be a Madonna or would you rather be a whore? Who has more fun? This is the blondes have more fun, but Madonnas are whores. Yeah, the whore probably has more fun. Yeah. I mean... The Madonna might find more fulfillment. I feel I like know. the Madonna gets stepped all over, yeah, no, and then she true. ends up like marrying someone who like doesn't respect her and cheats her. on her with whores. The Madonna has maybe no. The whore knows what she wants from the get go. They both know what they want from the get go. Well, is the whore getting used receive, though? Like, is she just like a? Medium? It depends. Mm-hmm. Really depends. So there's a way to be an ethical whore and an ethical Madonna, but there's also ways to be like. A well, like, trash mm-hmm. whore and a trash Madonna. Oh, you and know it what? all depends on the men that that like feed into your madonna or your whore yeah you know what i mean because like a trash madonna is like someone very like pick me and -hmm. she like puts down other women and like you know makes fun of not makes fun of them but like it's just like bullies them for their sexuality or belittles them and then like a trash whore would be like (laughs) a trash whore sorry it's just like a dumb (laughs) phrase a trash whore would be someone who like gets used by Mm -hmm. men and like I guess lets like herself doesn't be empower used. Yeah. herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then whereas like an ethical Madonna would be someone who like she knows that she wants to wait for marriage. Just but she doesn't judge actions. other people mm-hmm. for like their decisions. And then also just like I think in general, to have like an ethical sex life both for like men and women, I think privacy is key. Yes. Everything. Which is why Billy Mouth, Big Mouth Billy, <laughs> Billy Bass, Bass probably shouldn't have been talking about her sex life on air. What the fuck? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Bass. I'm sorry. You've been through it. I'm sorry, Big you're Mouth not, Billy Bass. You are a Madonna, Big Mouth Billy Yeah, you're Bass. a Madonna to us. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute. Um, But yeah, anyways, that's an ethical Madonna mm-hmm. and then an ethical whore. How to become an ethical whore? What are the I characteristics? Think, I think it all comes back to what we were talking about earlier <laughs> about the empowerment of it. What you choose to find empowerment from so mm-hmm. if it's like you're going out because you want to like receive something not because you need that you feel the need to like please someone else if you're yeah. whoring for you <laughs> i'd say it's entirely oh, also ethical. it's not like a validating thing yeah because like with samantha and the sex tape like she didn't like the guy she didn't want to sleep with him but like she did it because she wanted to feel because he the whole storyline was that he only fucks models mm-hmm. and so like in sleeping with her it was kind of like she's a model yeah yeah so it was like an insecurity thing for her yeah see so that would be unethical yeah samantha is an unethical whore mm-hmm. but then maybe <laughs> by like the later seasons she that's becomes, character development yeah yeah well there you go that's our treatise on ethical whoredom <laughs> and ethical madonna <laughs> Yeah, um, we'll see you next time on Mediatations. Um, I don't know what the next episode will be, but we'll find out.